Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. Do you remember when we did Pagentuary? On the Patreon, aka Matreon, yes, as one of our themes, uh, one of our one of our worst themed names of all time, <laughs> I would say. I don't think I ever said it correctly. Uh, it's a mouthful. Well, we made it, the word up, so I say, I say it like I say Owen McGregor. <laughs> so like presentuary. Sure, sure, sure. I think yeah. it was a good theme, but poorly named, and it just got me thinking that we've done several pageant movies on the show including today's episode which we'll get to in a moment it's true but well i get a lot of pageant uh, narratives i thought that was all leading up to like some really elaborate pun no i've also okay i've also noticed we've covered a lot of pageant movies we've done drop dead gorgeous we've done miss congeniality we've done oh what was the one what was the other one we did during pageantuary dumplin dumplin and little miss sunshine oh my god yeah wow there's a lot of pageant movies, a lot of which I love, including, mm-hmm. ooh, Transition, wow. the movie we're talking about today. We're talking about Miss Juneteenth today on the Bechdel cast. But first, mm-hmm. who are we and what is the Bechdel cast? Well, wow. Caitlin, why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm Caitlin Durante. and I'm Jamie Loftus. This is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point. And that, of course, is a media metric sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. It first appeared in Alison Bechtel's comic Dykes to Watch Out For as a as a bit. It was it was a joke, it was a goof, and it now uh, exists as a commonly cited media metric. There are many versions of it. Ours is this. Two characters of a marginalized gender have to have names, they have to speak to each other, and that conversation has to be about something other than a man. And we especially like it when it's a 
a nice and meaty conversation. <laughs> a good beefy convo. A big beefy burger of a conversation. No waiters with a name tag saying, would you like fries with that? Yes. Doesn't mm. count. Mm -mm. We've grown past it. Also, the show's about a lot more than that, as we're about <laughs> to get into. I still love all these years later when people are lying to our faces about listening to the show, which is fine. You don't have to listen to a show, but they're mm. like, oh yeah, that's the show where you go through every line of dialogue in a movie and try to figure out if it passes the I was like no who would listen to that mm. look we named the show seven years ago and we have to live with it um <laughs> and and here we are life goes on and today we have an incredible episode I feel like this really um this brings our pageant movies we've covered over the years uh I don't know if there's others are we missing any at this point Is, um, have we done every pageant movie I think there are Others that are maybe a bit more like off the beaten path, but as far as like quite mainstream ones, because there's a there's one called I think it's called Beautiful that um huh. oh my gosh what is her name she is in Goodwill Hunting she's British Mini Driver yes Mini Driver all right we have to start the show we can't get into Mini Driver <laughs> discourse at this time no. But there's that movie about a pageant, and then there's 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 got to be others. Anyway, let's get our guest in here. Yes, yes. She is a TV and film critic for New York Magazine's site Vulture. She lives in Chicago with her boyfriend and four cats, which means thirty two oh. nipples because cats oh, have fast eight nipples. Well, I'm a genius, and um, <laughs> I loved your reaction to thirty two nipples. Um, and uh, one of the best compliments she's ever received is from a close friend who called her deliciously vulgar. Incredible. Ooh, it's Angelica Jade Bastian. Hello. Hey, Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. We're so and excited talk to talk a have great you. movie. It's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. We cite your work oh. quite frequently on the show. The so time, it's yeah. an honor to actually have you here in the flesh. Oh, an honor. That is. That's kind of lofty. I will try to live up to how I come across <laughs> on the page. Well, you I are deliciously, deliciously vulgar. vulgar. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I do curse a lot more in person than I do on the page for obvious reasons. Um, mm. But I'm just like more vulgar in general in person. So when my good friend who is a contributing writer at the New Yorker and a teacher in the English department at Northwestern, Laura Michelle Jackson told me that on a friend trip mm -hmm. in Sagatuck, Michigan, Incredible. over a board game. I was so touched. I was like, that is such an amazing compliment. And I was like, oh, I got to use this in my bio. I need motherfuckers to know i'm deliciously <laughs> vulgar mm -hmm. i can't wait to hear more and they are indeed motherfuckers it's part of the deliciously <laughs> vulgar experience exactly you get it <laughs> so oh, we're so stoked to have you here truly tell us your relationship with miss juneteenth well i ended up you know seeing the trailer and hearing about it and I asked to review it at work when it came out in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I ended up really loving the movie, loving its cultural specificity, mm -hmm. and really having a great time talking to Nicole Bahari for an interview about the film mm -hmm. for Vulture as well. But I hadn't seen it since I reviewed it, which isn't out of the norm. A lot of times I'll review something and then just kind of, 
move on because there's so much I want to watch, so much I want to see yeah. and experience. Mm-hmm. So it was really nice revisiting the film for this podcast, you know, a few years later. And I was like, yeah, this is still a really great, touching, moving film that's a simple story well told, mm-hmm. is how I'd put it. Yeah. Yeah, and you're, of course, referring to the piece you wrote uh, for Vulture entitled Miss Juneteenth is a Gently Beautiful Film Worth Celebrating, which is a really wonderful piece. Uh, we recommend our listeners check it out. Nice. As a, as a companion piece to this episode. Ooh, wow. Companion piece. <laughs> a deliciously vulgar. Actually, I wouldn't say that that one is, is vulgar. It's, it's a no. pretty gentle, lovely piece. It's very gently lovely piece, but if you want something on the more vulgar side, Please. I did write about Dead Ringers through the lens of Rachel Weiss's performance, Ooh. and I used the word cunt twice in my lead. Hell so. yeah. Inc- wow. Truly, I, ha- I haven't read that yet. That's exciting. <laughs> I hope you have a fun time with it. I had a really fun time writing it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I revisit your Cruella essay often. I'm trying to think of like my, anyways, big fan. No, that's funny you mentioned Cruella. My boyfriend and I were talking about it the other day. And I was like, man, the headline for that was like really good. It was um, Cruella is the girl bossification of the mad woman. Yeah. Because um, that mm. whole movie is just a joke to me it's also like why are we doing a backstory on a villain who wanted to kill puppies, puppies. how are you what are we doing <laughs> puppies killed her parents it was uh is that the backstory yes is that true oh yes two oh, dogs yes. push her mom over like oh at least that's what you she thinks and what you as an audience think till a reveal later on yeah that oh, like she's an unreliable like engineered narrator. wow Oh God, yeah, that shows she's complicated, ladies. Like <laughs> it absolutely. I was like, I didn't need more than uh, Glenn Close, Cruella. That we should have just stopped mm-hmm. yes. the train. Let's stop. How about that? Let's stop doing the same thing Story. again and again. Let's have more films like Miss Juneteenth yes. that are That's original funny. and at a quiet tenor. That's always really nice. Like more quiet, sweet welcoming movies that are like a warm bath you know Mm -hmm. that's what i want absolutely um jamie what's your history relationship with miss juneteenth Um, i had seen the movie once before i remember hearing about it when it came out possibly from your work angelica and being like i'm gonna see that in theaters but it was 2020 so i did not indeed (laughs) see it in theaters um i do think that this movie had a long tenure on netflix i want to say i watched it on streaming Mm -hmm. in 2020 when it was released and um thought it was really lovely again it felt we were talking about this a little bit off mic but just i remember the first time i watched it because of sort of what we're conditioned to think about pageant movies that it's going to be the coming of age story for the person competing in the pageant and not Mm -hmm. their parent and I was I remember being like pleasantly taken off guard by Turquoise being the protagonist of this movie and I just I really enjoyed it and I didn't really have my analysis goggles on I just liked it and it was really fun to to go back and um to experience it again it's such a 
good like I don't know this movie just feels so effortless in everything Mm -hmm. it's doing Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's really 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 hard to do in a coming of age movie I I feel like even in ones I like you get these like really overwritten speeches about like and now I have come of age Um, (laughs) which can also be great but it's just like this movie yeah it just feels so lovely and effortless and I'm excited to talk about it Mm -hmm. Uh, Caitlin what was your history with this movie I didn't see it until beginning to prep for this episode. So my history with it is very short, but I really like the movie. I tend not to seek out more like character driven stories because I like big bombastic romps. You know me. No explosions. No They're... Dalmatians killing parents. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> exactly. Um, so character study type movies are, they can be a little hit or miss for me, but this one's really tender and moving and I really liked it. And all of the performances are really mm-hmm. wonderful. And yeah, it's just a very lovely movie. I, f- I feel like because, I mean, so much of the of 2020 is like a confusing blur to me. Mm-hmm. I was surprised in rewatching Nicole Bahari's performance that she wasn't nominated for more. Like I saw she got like a lot, like she got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. She got nominated for, I think, uh, or she won a Gotham Award. But I was like, I feel like it shouldn't have stopped there. It's such a beautiful performance. Like I just really... Um, and then reading about her process and like researching and going down to Texas and, and just like meeting people, I just was really, I really fell in love with her in reading about like her process and actually like rewatching her performance a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a shame she wasn't nominated for more, but I think the reason why she wasn't is because it's a great performance whose greatness isn't legible to what award bodies expect from a great performance for sure right you know like I think a lot of times the performances that are praised when it comes to award bodies especially when you're getting to like the Oscars and stuff like that is often work that makes the quote-unquote labor of acting very visible for audiences Mm -hmm. so they can see the effort they can see the choices made And a lot of times I'm not really a big fan of those kind of performances. Like I think like Kate Blanchett and Tar is a interesting example of that, where it's a culmination of a lot of work she's done and it's very, it's an effortful performance in a lot of ways, which can be really fascinating. I I am partially fascinated by that movie and performance, partially frustrated by it, Mm -hmm. but I think she's an interesting example for what it takes for female actors to gain credibility in award bodies also like Mm. they expect a certain kind of performance from black women to gain traction with awards right Mm. it's a lot of like pain and tears and like yelling speeches while tears are flowing down the face kind of thing i think is what tends to garner attention for like oscar nominations especially when it comes to performances from black women yeah has the oscars ever nominated a black female performer for a performance that is not rooted in pain Ooh, not that i can remember i don't think so no i mean because even if you're thinking about angela bassett's nomination this last year like that performance i mean it was an incredible performance but so rooted in grief and pain and yeah yeah 
I mean, I've legit never thought about it like that. But now I'm like, hmm, that's a little interesting. Hmm, yeah. Suspect. <laughs> Let's keep our eye on that. So, almost <laughs> like something is not quite right with that academy. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what the problem is. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, w- part of what makes uh, Nicole Bahari's performance so amazing, you say in your piece, Angelica, of like, it's a performance that is just so rooted in like existence. And like she's so at home in this character and it's so effortless versus, yeah, the effortful. Like I feel like when I think of Academy Award effort, I think of like DiCaprio in The Bear and you're like, oh, my oh, God. The Revenant. Enough. Oh. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> How bad do you want that damn trophy? Like, Oh, he is like, I will take it all off. I will literally have sex with someone for this trophy. Let me do anything, everything. You can have all of me for an Oscar, which is fine. You know, if that's what you want to do. To each their own. Uh, But I always find it really interesting, the neediness of certain actors with the Oscars. Like, it's kind of Mm. fascinating watching. Like, sometimes it's expected. You expect Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. to, like, go like extreme like put his body through stuff put his mind through stuff like be an effortful performer like I said but then sometimes you're like looking at like the campaign trail and you're like for example I was kind of surprised by how much Colin Farrell was campaigning like I don't think he was um being like so needy that is on a DiCaprio level But he's an actor whose career is interesting because there was a moment, a long moment, where he was really trying to be a mainstream, almost action-y, but not quite action-y. Like, you know, that didn't they have that Total Recall remake? Am I, like, making that up? Yeah. Right? Would you include his phone booth movie to be in that, like, action Sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was actually thinking of that. that movie. But to see him after, like, all this time where it's like, oh, he's, like, focusing on character work. He's just in it for the work and the love of the work. To see him, like really out there campaigning i was like man y'all are everybody is thirsty people need validation yeah i mean i was like i can relate with that yeah when you say like that it is like them getting recognized by a body of their peers and like when you think of it like that yeah of course they want to be like they're fucking actors (laughs) like that is that like part of the thing but you do think i feel like colin farrell's like curated I thought I think pretty effect like the the cool guy persona mm-hmm. so much that you're like oh he doesn't care about trophies right and you're like yeah. wow he does he does care he mm. does really care and it's like I mean okay you had he had a really good year last year good for Colin Farrell he did yeah good for That's him true. <laughs> anyway sorry yeah no no I was like I'm already this is gonna be a great episode <laughs> um, but yeah I put like that I mean I guess it does make some unfair sense that Nicole Bahari wasn't more recognized by mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. larger bodies of work but it's just like I, I don't know now that I've seen this movie twice in the last week I just am like so blown away by her I want to see her in more stuff mm-hmm. yeah I read that she was blacklisted for a while after mm. requesting accommodations for an autoimmune disease that she developed during the production of 
Sleepy Hollow, which is a show I did watch a Me substantial too. amount of. But really? after learning about that, and I was like, oh my God. I like learned she, two things. Yeah. It, like horrifying that she developed an illness during production, needed accommodations for that illness. And then Mr. Hollywood was like, no. Sorry, we're ableist. Like, yeah. That's, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, she came out talking about that like after the show was done and if you watch the show i thought the first season was really fun and i'm like oh they're gonna build on a relationship this interracial cross time weird relationship between these two characters Mm -hmm. and then they don't and then her character is like like they really stop giving a fuck about her character in that show Mm -hmm. and i was just that was at a like moment in hollywood history like right before our conversations about diversity started to like be reawakened and Mm -hmm. we're seeing like the studios put more effort into that. Although I think it's craven. I it's never altruistic with these studios. These are companies, you know? So it's like really interesting to kind of like look at how her career was affected by that because I still don't think it's like bounce back despite, you know, a great performance in Miss Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because I think, In a lot of ways, audiences, critics, people in the industry, then the industry has really gone dramatically forward in terms of diversity. Like, it's been a noticeable difference. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, look at the, like, you know, I'm going to speak from a black perspective, but like, look, for example, at the black actors who were kind of slipping through the cracks despite being super talented, Mm -hmm. despite sometimes having like a one high profile thing, you would think, oh, like, the industry's doing better. Of course, this great performer is going to have like other opportunities. And that's like not happening. Mm-hmm. I especially mm-hmm. see that with like elder blacks actors. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why aren't we seeing like I kind of thought about it with Keith David and Nope. And I was like, I'm glad mm-hmm. he showed up yeah. in it. But like he his character is important for dying, not for doing anything. Right. And I'm like, yeah. I would like to see these older actors get actual work that really lives up to their talents and Mm -hmm. offers them the kind of work that they've wanted for so long and they've demonstrated they're talented, but they haven't gotten the consistent work. And I think that's, what's really frustrating. We're still seeing, there's only a few like directors and actors of color of marginalized genders of different presentations and like sexualities and all that stuff. Like, they're not getting the consistent work. It's a very mm-hmm. small group of people who are getting the consistent work. Mm-hmm. And because like Hollywood history is so jagged with progress for people of color, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like there's more happening than there actually is. And it's easy to forget sure. like an actress like Nicole Bahari, despite being incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. And obviously she has an autoimmune disorder, so that can affect, you know, what kind of work she's willing to take on and like what she wants to do. But she's still like she can still do like fun character work like this. And Definitely. we're just yeah. not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I speaking to that point, it does feel like especially with award systems and just larger institutions. And I think areas of the media as well like uh, there's a tendency to celebrate a moment but not sustain it mm-hmm. or like celebrate a performance and be like this person is back and then they're gone again because there is not the consistent and I feel like that that goes to obviously who's behind the camera as well mm-hmm. uh, I'm wondering if either of you know I wasn't able to find anything of 
the writer director of this movie, Channing Godfrey Peoples, they have they've released a short film the year after this, but I don't know that there's been I haven't heard anything from Nothing. this amazing director. And mm-hmm. you're like, it's been three years. Why are we giving her stuff? Like it's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a damn shame. It is a damn shame. But let's talk about the movie. <laughs> yes, let's. Let us take a quick break and then we will come back for the recap. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Okay, so here is the synopsis for Miss Juneteenth. The story takes place in Fort Worth, Texas. We meet Turquoise Jones, played by Nicole Bahari. She is a former winner of her community's Miss Juneteenth pageant. Uh, We meet her while she's like taking a trip down memory lane. She's looking at her dress and her tiara But that was 15 years ago. Turquoise is now a single mother. She works at a bar. We meet her colleagues at the bar, Betty Ray, and the owner, uh, this guy named Wayman. She stops by an auto body shop to get her truck fixed by Ronnie, played by Kendrick Sampson. I love Kendrick Sampson. He's very good. Yeah, in everything. He's got such range, and he's mm-hmm. so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all right, that's all I have to say this time. <laughs> <laughs> so Turquoise is in this like on again, off again relationship with Ronnie, who is also the father of her teenage daughter Kai. Turquoise takes Kai, played by Alexis Chikis. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her last name. Um, takes her to register for this year's Miss Juneteenth pageant. Um, We also learn about Juneteenth, which is, of course, the holiday that celebrates the date that slaves in Texas learned they were free on June 19th, 1865, which was two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. The winner of Miss Juneteenth receives a scholarship to any historically black college of her choosing. And for this reason, Turquoise is like really pushing for Kai to participate in the pageant. And she really 
wants this victory for her to have access to this scholarship. But you can tell that Kai is not really interested in competing in the pageant. She's just doing it to appease her mom and Kai would rather join the dance team. That's something that really stuck out to me about this movie right away, where I feel like the other pageant movies we've covered, like they make it a joke. I know in Miss Congeniality, it's a consistent joke throughout the movie that like it's a scholarship program when it's like, no, actually, we are here to be competitive and to be pretty and blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And I, I like that this movie is like, no, it is for the scholarship. That's why, like, I mean, it's for a lot of reasons, but that is a big component of it. I feel like that's usually kind of pushed by the wayside or made to seem disingenuous um, in a way that Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, that I think is sort of meant to illustrate people who participate in pageants as um, frivolous and and unimportant. So I liked that this movie hit that really clearly. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then so Kai participating in the pageant means that she needs to keep her grades up and represent herself well in the community. And it also means a lot of costs. There's like buying the gown, there's registration fees, there's all these expenses. But Turquoise doesn't make a lot of money at the bar, nor at her second job at a funeral home. We also meet the owner of the funeral home. He's this guy named Bacon played by Akron Watson, Mm. who is openly in love with Turquoise. (laughs) Talks about it all the time. Has been for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But she is not interested in him at this time. Kai gets accepted into the pageant, which Turquoise is more excited about than Kai is. Turquoise wants her to perform Maya Angelou's poem, Phenomenal Woman, as her talent, because that's what Turquoise did when she was competing in the pageant. Uh, However, Kai wants to dance for her talent, but Turquoise isn't having it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, the pageant expenses are starting to pile up. Also, Turquoise's electricity bill is overdue, so she picks up extra shifts at work and tries to get her mother, Charlotte, played by Lori Hayes, to watch Kai. But Charlotte refuses. She is super religious and wants to, like, save Turquoise and Kai. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Ronnie gets arrested for, I think shooting an alligator Mm -hmm. that attacked him while he was fishing yep yes (laughs) i was like is that what happened (laughs) and that was at that point in the movie i'm like i don't know a lot about texas (laughs) i know i was like gators i associate with florida but it just goes to show how little i know about u.s geography yeah (laughs) so anyway so he gets arrested and now turquoise has to bail him out which is another expense Turquoise and Kai celebrate Kai's 15th birthday together, though they have to do so in the dark because the power has been shut off. Then we see Kai continuing to prep for the pageant. Uh, Turquoise continues to work a bunch at the bar, although one of her shifts gets cut short when she discovers her mother, Charlotte, is blackout drunk at the bar Mm. and turquoise has to take her home and care for her 
Meanwhile, Kai is hanging out with her boyfriend. I don't know if we even ever learn his name. I don't think we do. But some boy from school. And then Turquoise comes home and catches her and reprimands her for sneaking around and having boys over. And Kai is like, I'm not a kid anymore. Classic mother-daughter. Classic mother. Classic thing a teenager will say. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. No, in my mind, you're going to be a kid for a while. It's okay. to be a kid it's okay. yeah it's it's so fun to watch like i just think of like movies i watched when i was a teenager being like yeah she's right and then like <laughs> watching it when i'm 30 and being like no she's no yeah ba- <laughs> yeah. yeah she should be home by 11 <laughs> yeah at the latest i can't oh yeah. lord pray for my kids and whatever strictness <laughs> I will be moving with. <laughs> Oopsie. I know. I feel I'm like full team mom. Oh yeah. As long as like because Turk is an amazing mom so I'm yeah. full like I'm like yeah Kai you do have to come home by 11 sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like you're 15 like come yeah, on now. Yeah. Come on. What are you even doing? You can't even drink. You can't even like what are you doing out there? <laughs> I don't Just know. hanging out dancing. Learning dance know. moves. Yeah. yeah. And her boyfriend does seem very sweet um, he's yeah. supportive he's yeah. he's writing yeah. mixes for her dance choreography it's all very teenager yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> babe i made you this tape anyway um <laughs> so turquoise keeps working very hard to pay for all of these expenses she has a conversation with her boss wayman about taking pride in being able to run your own thing that no one can take away from you, even if it is something like a hole-in-the-wall dive bar. Uh, meanwhile, Bacon, the funeral home guy, tells Turquoise that he can provide for her and her daughter, and he's like really trying to convince her to be with him, and she's like, pass. <laughs> then there's a scene where Turquoise's mom tries to save her and Kai. Ugh. It's very uncomfortable. Like throwing holy water. They're like, the part of the congregation is like in a circle around Turquoise and Kai and like praying over. It's so uncomfortable. And it's like, oh, wow, this mother sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Especially, I thought it was so brilliant the way that we learn about Turquoise's mom over the course of the movie Mm -hmm. where we're like, it almost seems like she's presented kind of as like a stock character of like very religious parent. But then you learn that she's struggling with addiction and that it's clearly affected the direction of Turquoise's life. And then Mm -hmm. we go back to the religious stuff and then you're like, no, like Charlotte. It's It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that like, it, it's so that scene is so claustrophobic. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And all this to say that things are kind of falling apart for Turquoise and Kai. Can see how difficult her mother has it. Um, also, the dress rehearsal for the pageant is coming up, and Ronnie owes Turquoise money. Uh, which she needs to pay for the dress, but he kind of disappears. So Kai has to do the dress rehearsal in her regular clothes and it's, you know, humiliating for them. Then Wayman, the owner of the bar has a heart attack and is hospitalized. Bacon asks Turquoise to go to a fundraiser party to help with his medical bills And they go and they have a nice time. But Ronnie finds out that she went with Bacon and he gets jealous and aggressive. And then he storms off. And Bacon is like, 
all right, do you want to be with me or not? And Turquoise is like, I thought I already made this clear, but uh, no, I just want something for myself. Another great moment, because I feel like a movie that came out 20 years ago, that scene probably would have gone differently. For, yeah. Yeah. She probably would have yeah. been like, yeah, let's smooch. Yeah. Bacon. You've worn me down <laughs> after all these years. Right. Isn't it romantic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but no, she's like, I don't really know what I want right now, but it's not you, and I need to figure out what I want for myself. Yeah. Um, then it's the day of the Miss Juneteenth pageant. Kai wears her mother's dress with some alterations because they couldn't end up affording the $800 dress that Turquoise was trying to buy. Kai does perform the poem, but she does it to dance choreography that she's been practicing to music that her boyfriend mixed for her. And Turquoise isn't sure about this at first, but the performance goes well, and then she's really proud of her daughter. Mm -hmm. The runners-up and the winner are announced, and Kai, in a another like interesting movie subversion, Kai does not win anything. Mm-hmm. And she's upset because she thinks she disappointed her mother. Turquoise is upset on Kai's behalf for not getting the opportunities that come with winning, like the scholarship. Mm-hmm. Then Turquoise apologizes to Kai, saying, oh, you know, I've been trying to make you Miss Juneteenth, but you're Miss Kai Marie Jones. And I'm like, <laughs> and then we're crying. We're crying. <laughs> great. And then the story wraps up with, Turquoise putting a small down payment to buy Wayman's bar because he can't afford to keep running it with his medical bills. And this gives her a chance to have something of her own, something that she can run. So it's a win-win for both of them. And then the movie ends with Turquoise and Kai having a nice moment. And then Turquoise is like, hey, when are those dance team tryouts? And we're like, yay, she's learning. (laughs) The end. (laughs) So let's take another quick break and we'll come back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Where do we want to start? Angelica, is there anything that jumps out to you right away? Yeah. One thing I wanted to call out, and I mentioned a little earlier, was just the cultural specificity of Miss mm-hmm. Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy for mainstream media, film and television in particular, to kind of act like black people are a monolith and there aren't like some dramatic cultural differences, even amongst people in the South. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot about Juneteenth because that is specifically a black Texan thing. Mm-hmm. That is not, that wasn't like a popular talking point of, amongst like all black people. It was very specific to black Texans, not just black Southerners, but black Texans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just love the work the film puts in to really show the specificity, the importance, the care that these black folks put into Juneteenth celebrations and what it means to them. And while I am very happy to have Juneteenth off because white people figured out it was a thing. Um, I do think it's really interesting how it's become like sort of flattened into, oh yeah, this is like for all black people. And I'm like, we can't forget like the specific cultural forces Mm -hmm. at play that led to Juneteenth existing as a celebration and Juneteenth becoming a holiday. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm, I have a lot of feelings about how the South is portrayed and discussed in film and television. Yeah. As mm-hmm. a Southern gal, um, I'm mm-hmm. from born and primarily raised in Miami, okay. but my family and my maternal family is from rural Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And also I have a lot of family in Texas as well. But Louisiana is kind of like my second home, specifically this very small town that if I were to say the name, and you knew it, it would be weird to me because it's like very, <laughs> very, very small. Okay. But I think what's interesting right now and like rewatching Miss Juneteenth, I was thinking about a lot of the conversations happening about another Southern state, Florida, and everything going mm-hmm. on with this anti-gay, anti-trans bills. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the ways that people kind of discount how many black people are in the South. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh yeah, we should just saw off that part of the country and and like move on from it. And I'm just like, so we're just gonna leave black queer people to just kind of what languish like mm-hmm. what right and it really breaks my heart because there's a lot of cultural beauty to these places and a lot of black joy in these places that is being discounted because of terrible racist homophobic monsters mm-hmm. and i just i don't know i just want people to you know watch movies like miss juneteenth and see the beauty and cultural grooves of the south and understand that the south is worth fighting for in my mind Mm -hmm. but i have family in the south so i'm looking at it differently than i think some people do um but yeah mr Juneteenth kind of brought up a lot of ideas about just the south where it's at right now who lives there who deserves our care and sort of Mm -hmm. the people who slip through the cracks because a woman like turquoise is not really the lead you get in a lot of films. Like she's working class, she's struggling, she's a single mom, Mm -hmm. and the film really recognizes her humanity. And I think it's our responsibility to recognize the humanity of people struggling in the South in general. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. And like you point out in your piece, and I think we've kind of touched on this already, but this the story is quite small scale. You know, it's about this like mm-hmm. pretty specific microcosm of this pageant and it's happening over the course of it seems like only maybe a couple months mm-hmm. at most. But it's like it's such a beautiful story that taps into so much of what turquoise's life is like and what Mm -hmm. she's dealing with and you know she's a single mom she's poor she's dealing with the attention of a few different men none of them seem like great romantic options for her she had to kind of relinquish the opportunity that she did get by winning miss juneteenth you know a decade and a half prior i don't think it's ever said outright in the movie and maybe this is just my head canon but it seemed like she wasn't able to quote unquote cash in on like the scholarship or the you know the opportunities that she uh received by winning because she got pregnant with Kai mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so she wasn't so. able to either go to or finish her schooling you know she had to raise her daughter um, and it felt like she implied, and again, maybe I'm misreading, but it, like she implied that her relationship with her mom also made it all the more difficult mm-hmm, to kind of cash mm-hmm. in on that and like caring a lot for her mom while she was struggling with addiction. Definitely. Right. So there's, you know, all these variables that um, kind of prevented her from reaching a certain potential. And now she's so focused on making sure the same thing doesn't happen for her daughter. But it it manifests as this, like, really wonderful, relatable story where, like, she knows what she wants for her daughter, but she has to learn to accept what her daughter actually wants for herself, and she has to figure out what she wants for herself. So she's, like, kind of projecting all this stuff onto Kai, kind of ignoring what Kai clearly wants for Kai, and also sort of ignoring what Turquoise once or like what she should maybe pursue and it's just like this story of self-discovery and like letting go to some extent but also like doing your best (laughs) yeah definitely I think um one thing I was thinking about is the way this country works the way this world works if you're struggling in poverty you do not have the time, the chance, Mm -hmm. and the opportunity to really dream, let alone realize those dreams, Mm -hmm. which is what makes the ending of Miss Juneteenth so beautiful. And while Turquoise is definitely struggling, I think there are these really beautiful moments of communion amongst Black people, Mm -hmm. these really moving moments of joy and just connection. And I would describe Miss Juneteenth as like a lo-fi gem. I Mm. love bombastic, gargantuan, monstrous, you know, money dumped into them kind of movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love, you know, the small movies as well. I love, I just love movies. But, you know, watching a lo-fi gem like this is, it's really refreshing because it's like you're kind of stepping into the lives of other people for a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. 
And th- what makes, I think, Miss Juneteenth so strong is you get this feeling of history. You can feel the history that preceded the movie and you have a vision of how their lives will continue afterwards and how different it will be. Mm-hmm. And I really like that hopefulness and also that sense of time. And like, you really do feel like you're just kind of, oh, I'm just stepping into the lives of these people in this moment of their life and they're just living their life. And it's just really nice to watch black people just being, just Mm -hmm. like living, no matter like the circumstances of that life. But like, you know, I think it's important, and I hate using that word, but I do think it is important to witness people of color, queer folks, just kind of living and not having their lives be completely defined by their marginalization. It can infuse the story. Of course it will. But having so many of these so-called diverse stories that we're getting be so obsessed with the struggle is really frustrating. Absolutely. For sure. I, I, and I feel like that goes back to the Oscar discussion we were having earlier where it's like the performances that pain is so central to are the ones that are uplifted. And it seems like the ones that get the institutional backing um, I wanted to share a quote from Channing Godfrey Peoples that mm. sort of speaks to that point. Um, mm-hmm. This is from when the movie was released in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, I believe the kind of work I want to do is tell stories about humanity and especially the humanity of black folks. When you talk about Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep and My Brother's Wedding, Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust, you get to see black folks in these really natural environments with all their subtleties. These are the films where you see black folks just be. I talked a little bit earlier about this authentic community I grew up in. It gave me this sense and I could just sit in this community and just watch and take it in. I believe in authentic dialogue. I'm a stickler to staying close to the script because I'm showing a community on screen that hasn't been seen before. Growing up in this community, there's so much that you feel. I love subtlety and nuance and finding those tiny human moments. Those are so important to a character's journey and those are the moments that feel the most real to me. And that like comes across in every single frame of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think like, yeah, also connects to what you're talking about, Angelica, about the extreme specificity of this movie. And part of what makes it feel so effortless is because this is Channing Godfrey people's like lived experience and something that mm-hmm. she had a vested interest in wanting to share with the world as a filmmaker. And it just feels, I don't know, every element of this community feels like you're saying, like real, like almost like a documentary, like you're just stepping into this world that doesn't explain itself to you. You just explore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I want to really call out is Channing Godfrey people's like amazing direction. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, w- witnessing someone's first feature and it's just like so realized like this and, and you can get across like, oh, this is their voice. And there's such warmth to both the direction and the cinematography mm-hmm. and s- such detailing that's really beautiful. And it's the kind of direction that doesn't call attention to itself, but it is making very smart choices about framing and where bodies are in the space that they're inhabiting. Mm-hmm. I was really, really taken in by her direction when I first watched it and rewatching it. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And and like, there's so many, I don't know, on the, on the rewatch of this movie, just seeing all these, because she so fully understands and knows how she wants to present the Fort Worth community and, and this black community in particular, you get all of these 
subtleties of like different kinds of communities within this community. Like you see the church community and how that affects turquoise and Kai. You see the pageant community, which can be really exclusive and can be extremely judgmental. And, you know, turquoise mm-hmm. is obviously feeling judged by a community that at one point was really important to her. And then I mm-hmm. think like the best of it is you see the community at the bar which is like so loving and supportive and I always get like emotional when when Wayman has a heart attack and everyone's like we have to fix this and we have to fix it by like coming together and Mm -hmm. having a party and that's how we're going to support him through this and it works and like I just I I love that there's so many different worlds within the world um Mm -hmm. and and it's not you're not like told by the movie like this community is good. This community, not good. Like you're, you just are following turquoise as she navigates it. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to see how she upholds certain standards that the pageant has, which, you know, can be pretty rigid. They're pretty, um, what's the word for when, I don't know. There's almost like a bourgeois kind of, Oh, you have to like, pick up your little it was a very like titanic start from the outside and work your way in kind of Mm -hmm. where it's like pick up your wine glass pick up your dinner fork all this stuff and um not that like turquoise is like practicing anything like that at home but she again understands how this opportunity is one of very few if not the only opportunity she's going to be able to like provide for her daughter to get out of this kind of cycle of poverty so she's kind of monitoring her daughter's behavior who she hangs out with what she wears Mm -hmm. how she speaks she's like often correcting her grammar because she kind of has to like align with the expectations of the pageant and the propriety and the femininity and Mm -hmm. the beauty because even though again that's like we've talked about this a lot on various pageant episodes it's like yes this is a a contest to grant a scholarship but if that is like the most important part of it why are the girls like walking around in these expensive gowns and like Mm -hmm. in full make hair and makeup and stuff like that if it really is about a scholastic thing like why is appearance a a factor at all kind of thing but like Mm. turquoise kind of has no choice but to sort of uphold those standards and it's interesting because it's like some of these movies like Dumplin' was sort of like about trying to dismantle the pageant industrial complex (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is like you know that's not what this movie is about and it's just like yeah Kai is just like trying to be a regular teenager pursuing her own interests her mother is like trying to open up this door for this scholarship opportunity I don't know it's just like a lot of interesting things that you're watching the characters navigate and balance and like you know Kai is doing this to please her mom even though she clearly doesn't want to it's just it's a lot of like interesting again very relatable things to watch unfold especially front like in a mother daughter mm-hmm. uh, relationship dynamic yeah and it's just so refreshing to watch mother daughter stories in film mm-hmm. because like everything is so obsessed with father sons we talk about this all yes. the time <laughs> or even just father and child 
slight rant, like I'm dragging my feet to watch Picard season three, which I've heard is actually good and justifies the show existing finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but spoiler alert for people, they decide to get like that Dr. Beverly Crusher and John Luke Picard actually have a kid together, which he didn't know about, right? Mm. And of course it's a son. And I'm like, how many more father sons oh. do we need in Star Trek? Especially because Picard and his mother, like there's like, there's a, Yes, you don't I, get a lot of mother-son stories either. Like, no, you don't. You would think that mothers don't have sons or something, <laughs> or they the mothers die. Yeah. It's just really frustrating. And I think Miss Juneteenth is like really good at teasing out the complications that come between a single mother and her like only daughter, whether there's other siblings or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot, at least speaking personally, a lot of the growth and work that comes with that relationship especially if there's like imbalances for whatever reason is like the mother coming to terms with the fact that you can't make your daughter into the woman you wish you were you have to nurture in the woman she's becoming Mm -hmm. right damn that was a banger line that that is the truth (laughs) cut it print it there (laughs) it's true that and i feel like that is like something that any daughter of any mother can relate to to Mm -hmm. some extent yeah but I I don't know I'm trying to think of an example of this it's just done so well and just again like effortlessly in this movie where you know that what turquoise like you understand why turquoise is doing what she's doing but you can also clearly see that it's misguided Mm -hmm. and it's not what her daughter wants or needs right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you can also see the movie you know grants turquoise the grace while like making it not like you know tiptoeing around like clearly kai doesn't want this Mm -hmm. but you can also see how turquoise's treatment from her own mother informs that and like i think that there's i don't know i mean i i can relate with this in my relationship with my own mom of like uh, my mom was, you know, deprived of a lot of uh, love and had a mother who was struggling with addiction her entire life and the relationship was strained. And, you know, it's like people respond to that experience differently and how it comes out in turquoise is like a little bit of just like, I know what's right. This is the opportunity. Just trust me. Let's get just get mm-hmm. through this and you can do what you want later, which is like a very I think common thing Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not it doesn't make you a bad parent but it was interesting watching them navigate that kind of together I don't know it's just like Mm -hmm. so thoughtful I love it definitely some of the most like endearing and tender moments of the movie is turquoise and kai bonding for example the like the cake scene Mm. when Mm. in in a lot of these moments are like kind of sprinkled with like the tension that exists between them the way that tension is bound to exist between any like teenage kid and their parent but it's Mm -hmm. like the cake scene starts out with Kai is like I don't know sitting in a dark closet on her phone like probably texting her boyfriend and clearly like you know, feeling a certain way about the power being shut off. And she says something like, it's, you know, it's my birthday. Can we go out? And Turquoise can't afford that, but she's already bought this cake. And she's like, you know, we're going to celebrate here. And then they have this fun little like smearing cake on each other's faces. And it's again, like both of them trying to like alleviate the tension of this like Mm. situation and these circumstances. Mm. And then there's another sweet scene where, Kai is teaching her dad 
some of her choreography and then her mom comes home and she's just like, Ugh, what are you guys even doing? But then she joins in and like learns some of the dance moves too. And it's just like these sweet moments that show, yes, there is tension in this relationship and yes, they don't always get along. And Kai probably feels a bit suffocated by all this pressure that Turquoise is projecting onto her, but they still find these like beautiful moments of levity, which was just like so wonderful to see. Yeah, yeah. It's a very intimate film. It's a film that really prizes intimacy between its characters. Mm -hmm. And those tender moments you're highlighting, I think, are really good examples of that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, yeah, go over to, um, we've talked about it a little bit, but just kind of to um, come full circle on it, uh, Turquoise's relationship with her mom yeah, mm-hmm. and how that is sort of unspooled throughout the course of the movie. I just thought it was so well done. And again, just like this movie allows its characters to have shades of gray in this way that feels really unusual where it's like Charlotte clearly was not the parent that Turquoise needed. Like she'd, seems to be kind of I mean struggling with addiction in a way that she still seems um, you know at grandma age not ready to acknowledge Mm -hmm. and that's really I mean I think that the performance by Lori Hayes is so beautiful and painful because it's you know you can be you know you can hold some anger for Charlotte for not being the parent that Turquoise needed and also see that she's been suffering for so much of her life Mm -hmm. and um, is doing I mean everyone's doing the best they can and she's not able to be there for turquoise or Kai in the way they need and that's just presented as something that is unfair and sad which is often how having someone in your life struggling with addiction can feel and Mm -hmm. turquoise is so gentle with her um Mm. and it just like I don't know that scene got me really emotional and it's it is really hard to watch someone have to navigate that situation and also be like that's my mom you know like Mm. I want the best for this person and they cannot show up for me but I can show up for them right now and um and still I I like that after that it's not that's not the conclusion of that relationship Charlotte doesn't change overnight she's been this way towards turquoise for a long time and is still you know essentially ambushes her and Kai and turquoise Mm -hmm. is like this is this is the line we have found the line congratulations which is sad in some ways because she's severing the relationship with her mom at least for now but I thought it was really I mean that's like a really great moment for her and you you see the kind of spectrum of what this mother-daughter relationship has looked like over the years in without a lot of time and it's so beautifully written and again just like Nicole Bahari is unbelievable in the way she um, performs those scenes and yeah I don't know it's like a, a relatively small part of the movie but like turquoise growing up with a parent who was both suffocating in a different way and mm-hmm. struggling with addiction I just thought it was like so good I haven't seen that relationship done like that many times yeah truly and it's I mean turquoise the patience she shows her mom is I don't have that kind of patience. (laughs) Like it's also, it's just, it was such an interesting, we were touching on this as well already, but the way that information about the Charlotte character is woven into the narrative where at first it seems like, 
you know, you kind of have a, a sort of a, a stock character of like the overbearing religious mother. And it came as such a surprise to me when she shows up at the bar and she's like blackout drunk. And you're like, wait, is this the same woman who had just been like talking about needing to save her daughter and like wanting to bring turquoise and kai to church to you know pray and and it's such a little detail but the fact that like there's like a little line from charlotte saying that she didn't think that turquoise was working tonight and so also that she's still Mm -hmm. it's an ongoing quest to hide her addiction Mm -hmm. from her daughter and from her family which is like yeah, so simple and so quick, but definitely hits. And prior to that, because I think there are three main beats where the Charlotte character is involved. The first one is the scene where Turquoise takes Kai to the church to meet up with her mom and say, I have to work tonight. Can you watch my daughter? And mm-hmm. Charlotte is like, no. She basically says, like, kind of gives an ultimatum, like, I'll be more involved in both of your lives if you accept Jesus into your heart. And Turquoise is like, well, pass. So never mind. Um, and then and then Charlotte says something like really hurtful. She's like, well, she's not my daughter. So, you know, like, yeah. why should I bother? In front of Kai, too. Yeah. I was like, jeez. Horrible. Yeah. That was a really cruel. I It really stuck yeah. out to me. Yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. Which, you know shows the hypocrisy that a lot of religious fundamentalist type people tend to display and Mm. the hypocrisy keeps going because in the second beat she previously charlotte was like oh you're working at the bar you know you're doing the devil's work and then she is at this same bar where this quote-unquote devil's work happens and she's drinking heavily and to be clear, I'm not I'm not casting judgment on alcoholism, mm-hmm. but again, it's, it's the hypocrisy element. It's yeah, it. it's the yeah. the hypocrisy for Charlotte to judge Turquoise for working at a bar, and then for Charlotte to turn around and get drunk at that same bar to the point where like her daughter has to bring her home and take care of her, and then the yeah. third beat. Charlotte pretends that never happened and she's in church again and this is the scene where she's trying to you know save turquoise and Kai and she's continuing to judge turquoise well what would really help her is like helping out with Kai like the simple things that turquoise is asking for right that and then the final beat of all this is Charlotte becoming physically abusive to yeah. turquoise which is like the last straw for turquoise um so yeah it was just like i was fascinated to see it play out the way it does because again it feels very authentic and realistic in a way that relationships like that are not often characterized in a way that feels mm-hmm. so authentic yeah i think one of the things we haven't touched on yet is turquoise's relationship with the men in the story yeah mm-hmm. um <laughs> who wants to start <laughs> I'm glad she chose herself. We need mm-hmm. more stories of women being like, you know, these, you know, not to say I don't want romance, but these guys aren't right for me. I'm just going to live my life. We do not have enough stories like that. Mm-hmm. So many stories about women would like end this one very differently. It would revolve around her making a choice between Kendrick Sampson's character ronnie and her boss at the funeral home bacon Mm. but that's not the story that 
you know, Channing Godfrey Peoples is smart enough to understand, like, that's not really authentic to Turquoise's story or what this character needs, Mm -hmm. which is to figure out things on her own, like, to really Mm -hmm. figure out, like, what do I want for myself and for my daughter in a way that is holistic and recognizes her own desires and the desires of her daughter. Um, I think... neither of them are bad guys, which I like. I like that, you know, they have their faults. Obviously, Ronnie, I think specifically decided to use the money for the dress for something else because there's that moment in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. right? And they're having a conversation or like they're having a conversation at some point. He's like, oh, but someone is like selling their like whatever. And and like, you know, this could lead to me opening up my own kind of car shop business or whatever. And like turquoise is like, uh, you gotta be kidding yeah. me. <laughs> and it's just like they're not neither of them are bad people, even though I feel like Ronnie doesn't I mean, doing something like that with the money shows, in my opinion, a little bit of a lack of respect and mm-hmm. understanding, right? Yeah. And then Bacon is so obsessed with whatever image in his head he has of turquoise. He refuses to acknowledge that she's not interested in him. Mm-hmm. Right. And like she does not need him to solve her problems. Mm-hmm. Like she can do that on her own. Yeah. Come on, Bacon. Like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> there are times, it's just, yeah, it feels, it's so funny because I feel like Bacon in some ways presents himself as like, I'm the mature option, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he's acting like a teenager in the way that he talks Mm -hmm. to her, where he's like, someday it's like, it it just feels very like, um, I don't know. There's a little bit of an entitlement there, but it's just like Mm. also emotionally immature the way that Mm -hmm. he's like, well, sure. sure, You're not interested now. And you were, you haven't been interested for 15 years, but (laughs) one of these days you're you're going to open your eyes and see me. And it's like, no, if it hasn't happened yet, uh, sorry, bacon, but, uh, and it doesn't make him a bad guy. Like, Mm -mm. like you're saying, Angelica, like in the same way where it's like Ronnie again is like one of the uh, one of the people who cannot show up for turquoise and kai in the way that they need but you can also tell that he very like he loves his daughter mm-hmm. and he's not made out to be a bad person or anything like like that he's made out to be someone who is who i i think that like the main i guess flaw of his that stood out to me which you kind of just said angelica was like that he sort of undercut the amount of work that Turquoise had done in raising their daughter. It doesn't mean he doesn't love his daughter, but he like, there's a few different times where he sort of just says like, well, you'll figure it out. You always do. And it's like, well, she shouldn't have to like, if you Mm -hmm. did what you said you were going to do. And, but again, it just feels, it feels like a person that you've met before um, Mm -hmm. in all the like messiness that uh, people can be. And also that like turquoise, I don't know. I, I felt for her in the way that it's like, she's still clearly attracted to Ronnie and like has love for him. Mm -hmm. And it seems like to me again, I'm like probably projecting all over the movie, but like that, like she always is like holding out hope that he's going to show up in the way that she Mm -hmm. needs him to, but like knows deep down, he probably won't because she is Mm -hmm. usually prepared for Ronnie to not show up in the way that, that she needs him to, but still, has love for him and like that's a that's a you know also very different 
painful dynamic to to be in that I feel yeah. like you don't see presented in that way of like they're not a bad person but they can't do what I need and so it's like I have to walk away and yeah she chooses herself there's so few examples of that yeah <laughs> and that we get her happy ending and it makes sense like I feel like sometimes you'll get like if if a character chooses themselves it requires this like deus ex machina writing to be like and then this amazing coincidence happened so they'll be fine but it's like no turquoise had you know was able to make it happen for herself and Mm -hmm. her buying the bar was her idea and it was a idea that was like supported by her community at the bar and like worked out in a way that felt very real and still Mm -hmm. optimistic and happy ending Mm -hmm. i just hope she gets better tips than a quarter uh moving forward (laughs) that one guy is like a little something for you and his tip is 25 cents doink like yeah yeah what am i supposed to do with that i can't even buy bubble gum with that like what in this economy (laughs) what do i yeah (laughs) does 25 cents even matter like what is that what what is that you might as well give me a penny thanks (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the men it's like what she wants from ronnie is to be more reliable and with that probably comes some like financial stability, which is what Bacon has and is offering, but she has no romantic feelings for him, it seems. And Ronnie, she does, but again, he's not reliable. He might Mm. have a gambling problem. It's kind of suggested. Mm. He also brings Kai into that situation where like, Oh yeah. People start like brawling in front and she's like, visibly getting frightened and he's like no it's all good and it's like you shouldn't be bringing a teenager into a scenario like that that's potentially very dangerous so like you know he's making some choices but again like this is a movie where people are making mistakes constantly and Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of who is going to learn from their mistakes who is going to grow and I'm glad that we're focusing on a character who demonstrates so much growth by the end like turquoise Mm. is like you see it with her finally acknowledging that her daughter wants to dance and saying like Mm. when are the dance tryouts she realizes that to be able to kind of have any autonomy over her finances and 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 job is to like just take it it's a huge step and it's a gamble but it feels right Mm. and so she buys the bar and i like that scene where wayman is um turquoise is talking about the american dream and he's like Mm. there is no american dream for black folks like whatever you have that's yours like cling to for dear life and people are going to try to take it away from you but like for so many of us that's the best we can hope for and and now she does have that. She has like her own thing. She's going to, and she's going to fix that damn, the stall in the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. the door on the cooler. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, I almost wish we got like a scene a few months down the road where she had like made some slight adjustments to the bar to mm-hmm. like make it a little yeah. more pleasant to <laughs> work <laughs> at. But um, yeah, sorry. I'm just like rambling, but it's just such a nice story with such wonderful character characters as individuals and then like character dynamics yeah that we explore uh is there anything else anyone else wanted to touch on i hope channing godfrey people's 
announces another film soon. That is like my main thing right now. So I did a little bit of uh, Googling while we've been talking, and it Mm. seems as if in 2021, but again, that's over two years ago, she started work on a TV adaptation of Miss Juneteenth. Hmm. But I haven't been able to find much outside of that announcement. That would be really cool. I was like, I mean, that would give possibly give Caitlin what you were just talking about, like a more a, a deeper look at this world or a longer timeline or whatever that mm-hmm. looks like to her. I mean, I hope that that happens, but it was announced, you know, two and a half years ago now and I haven't seen an update. Mm fingers crossed I don't know I mean yeah I I just I would I I would watch anything that she releases really like it's like and I and I really love I mean I love just in general when directors and writers have a vested interest in a location I just love that and it seems like she wants to continue to set a lot of her work in Fort Worth and in the south and in like small communities and Mm -hmm. that's like some of my favorite stuff I really me too. Um, I hope we see more from her soon. Same. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to just briefly touch on was that there are a few allusions to the fact that Turquoise used to be a stripper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It doesn't seem like she's ashamed about it. She is somewhat secretive about it. But to me, it felt like she was kind of like keeping it on the down low to like keep up appearances because of the... Um, the propriety and the etiquette that the mm-hmm. pageant is so concerned with, like, mm-hmm. you know, Kai and her family have to be, you know, quote unquote model citizens sort of thing. Yeah. But when Kai learns about this and she confronts her mother, Turquoise is just like, I'm not sorry for being able to put food on the table. And She kind of implies that she did this out of desperation, which like Mm -hmm. you could argue is like sort of shamey of sex work. But also, again, it's just like she's not this isn't some like dark secret that she's holding on to. It's more like I did what I had to do. It wasn't ideal Mm -hmm. for me. I wish Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do that. But I'm trying to make sure that you if that's not something you want to do in your future like i'm trying to provide other paths for you so yeah i mean it it didn't strike me as shamey towards sex work i think that it was like it it felt like in the moments it came out it felt to me more like turquoise was trying to navigate the stigma she's aware it has right and, mm-hmm. um and also just like acknowledging that that was not what she wanted her end game job to be in a way that didn't seem like it was cruel or dismissive mm-hmm. of people yeah. who do want to be strippers for a long time and, and like really love that job. It mm-hmm. wasn't a job that she loved. And also I think, I don't know, it, it didn't really ping for me as a, as a shamey moment. Yeah. Same. Yeah, yeah. Same. I thought that was a very revealing moment about like the boundaries and dynamics between turquoise and Kai and like, how Kai looks at her mother Mm. and like there were moments watching it where I like so felt for Kai because I've like been in her place where you're just like dealing with such tension with your mother but then I think like you know the parent-child relationship often it takes a very long time for children to recognize like oh my parent is just a person they live this whole life 
before me and even since they've had me that I'm not going to know everything about. And mm-hmm. I think that's like what that moment is kind of touching on. Yeah. Like the parts of your parents you don't really know. And I think for Kai, it was like, oh, wait, there's a lot about my mom I don't realize. Mm-hmm. And, and how much she works and tries to figure things out for me. And I, I think the way um, Channing Godfrey Peoples writes and directs that moment is really sharp in his understanding of the characters. And it's like a closer shot of both of them. And like you can kind of, it's really just smart character work in terms of framing and like giving these performances room to breathe mm-hmm. in a way yeah. that can reveal further layers about such a moment. I really, yeah, I thought that moment was really interesting. It's, right. I I also felt something, I mean, it doesn't exactly, I mean, it, thankfully it doesn't exactly mirror the scene between Turquoise and Charlotte when Charlotte needs to be taken care of and needs to be taken mm-hmm. out of the bar. But I feel like that is the moment where Turquoise is very much the child and is like, my mom needs me to be this person for her right now. This is what I'm going to do. You sort of see that in the moment with Kai and the birthday cake where she's frustrated that the power has been turned off. Like mm-hmm. this is not the birthday she wants. She's We know she's disappointed about it. But you can sort of see her make the decision of like, I'm going to go with this because my mom needs me to do this right now mm-hmm. for, for her. Of like, you know, Turquoise just needed her to take the cake and be happy and like even mm-hmm. perform like happiness in this really difficult moment for both of them. And it's so, I feel like that's such a, such a part of like becoming an adult of like recognizing those moments. Mm-hmm. And even when it's painful, like Kai, I mean, and that's so much of why she's doing the pageant in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over the course of the movie, even though Kai is not the main character of the movie, like learns to draw her boundaries with her mother of like, this is what I'm able to give you and you need to meet me where I'm at too. Mm. But I really liked that just like really subtle performance moment between them where they just both have to, they both decide like the power isn't on and that has to be okay. And it's still a birthday. And it's just like such a, yeah, again, it's like the combination of the writing and how subtle and great both performances are that makes me cry. It's really nice. Beautiful. This movie obviously passes the Bechdel test. I mean, I don't think we yeah. really need to talk it's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so on to our nipple scale. Uh, yes, where we another ig- ill-fated <laughs> title. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> where we rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. This is a rare moment on the Bechtel cast because we're usually doling out one nipple for a movie. I'm going to give five nipples. Yeah. To Miss Juneteenth. I really can't think of anything to criticize about it from an intersectional lens. I think it's just really beautiful in the way that it handles the story, the characters, their relationships, the balance between showing the things that they're dealing with, the things that they're struggling with in kind of balancing that with moments of love and levity and joy 
and I love the realism of it all. The fact that like the movie had the guts to not award Kai with like yeah. one of the yeah. runners up or the queen, like because every other movie would have been like, and she won because she pulled out all the stops and did this. It possesses the bravery of School of Rock in that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I love. I love when the main character doesn't get the prize. It's always like a more rewarding viewing experience. Yeah, because yeah. what's more important is like the lessons they learned along the way. And yes. sure, would it have been nice if she did get the scholarship? Yes, but also as Kai points out, like if I join the dance team, I can get a scholarship through that and that's actually what I want to pursue and even though there's not like that big victory at the end things definitely are looking up for Mm -hmm. them with like this new ownership of the bar and Kai is gonna join the dance team so there's again just moments of like levity there's an understanding that this family's dealing with a lot but it's all just like handled very beautifully and this comes as at no surprise because of who directed the film we're always talking about okay like who's handling this subject matter mm-hmm. and because the writer director is a black woman from fort worth from fort who, worth like this is her youth that she's like showing mm-hmm. in this movie yeah yeah so goes to show why it's so important for people of marginalized communities to have the chance to tell their own stories and tell whatever stories they want to tell. And Channing Godfrey Peoples did an incredible job. And yeah, like we said, I hope there's a lot more on the horizon for her. So five nipples, I'll spread them among Channing. <laughs> Love a spread. Yeah, oh, a spread. A spread um, of nipples. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's a delicious spread. Um, Nicole Bahari, the actor who plays Kai, Alexis Chikase, again, still unclear on her pronunciation. So sorry, Alexis. Those. That's who gets my nipples. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go five as well. Yeah, this movie is, it just... It, it fucking rips. It is like just spending time in a very uh, specific world. I love, uh, like you're saying, Angelica, I mean, there's not a lot of movies about black people in the South. And the fact that this seems to be based on the interview she was giving the exact movie that Channing Godfrey Peoples wanted to make. Mm. And she got to make it and she got to make it on her own terms. And it's fucking awesome. And I just like... I, I really love this movie and I feel like of it's it's also in the like pageant movie genre completely unlike anything else totally there's so many I, I feel like I mean I guess you could make this argument for a little Miss Sunshine but I think like especially the Miss Juneteenth pageant and the way that that information is introduced to the audience I feel like very often you're almost uh, as an audience member like over explained to mm. and it almost feels like an Adam McKay movie for a second of like, hey, <laughs> let me tell you about Juneteenth. And it's like, it's not Channing Godfrey people's job to tell me what Juneteenth is. And it, it like you find out about this community and what's important to them and it, their history very organically through the world. And it's I, I, I love I don't know. I just love everything about this movie. The mother-daughter dynamics. I feel like there's so many movies about generational trauma right now that there's like generational trauma tropes that this movie evades completely. You get little tastes of 
so many different parts of this world. There's so much about Turquoise and Ronnie's relationship that we don't know, but you get a feeling for it just on the performances mm-hmm. and the writing. There's so much about Turquoise and Charlotte that we don't know, but you get a taste of it. And I just like, um, I, I don't know, I think in the past couple of years, I've really grown to appreciate movies that don't feel the need to explain themselves to you. Like you're there and you can sort of get a feel for what the world is when it's shown to you the way that this movie shows you Fort Worth and shows you Turquoise's community and life. And I just love it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go five nipples. How am I going to spread my nipples? Let's (laughs) see. Let's see. Oh, you know what? I want to give part of my spread to... Uh, shout out oh Opal God. Lee and her cameo in the yeah. movie. She gets she's included in my spread as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving all of mine to Channing Godfrey Peoples. I'm going to keep it simple. I just and I really um, look forward to seeing what she makes next and hope that it will get the support that it deserves. Definitely, yeah. Angelica, how about you? Five nipples all the way. Yeah, and I'm going to echo Jamie and. Give them all to Channing Godfrey Peoples. I find how, you know, culturally realized and warm and striking and aesthetically astute the film is to be really inspiring. I think there's this belief that all stories have already been told, but watching something like Miss Juneteenth is a reminder that because of how barred black people have been from telling their own stories, that's Mm -hmm. not true. There's so many stories that have yet to be told And I think, you know, Chaining Godfrey Peoples is really inspiring for being able to create a film she's really proud of and didn't have to compromise on and offered audiences something they hadn't seen before, Mm -hmm. whose importance lies in the artistry of it and the care put into it, not just because it's, you know, showing this side of black identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, just really taken by the film and I really love it and hope people continue to discuss to discover it over the years for sure i would say all stories about the straight white male experience have been told yeah Yeah. but there are so many others yeah doesn't mean they'll stop trying they will not stop it's never gonna stop but so frustrating and i can't wait to see nicole bahari lead another movie yes yes damn it She's such a good artist. She's put so much care into her craft. I feel like we've only like scratched the surface of what she can do as a performer. So for sure. I really hope for the best for her career. Same. Yeah. Well, Angelica, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a delight. Aww. Come back anytime, truly. Yeah, I would yeah. love to come back on. Thank you for inviting me. This was a really fun conversation. Yay. Of course, yeah. Any movie you want, you can, I mean, it's also fun to shit on a movie for two hours if you've got one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny. I've become like known for some reason as a contrarian, like I hate everything, but haha. See, I talked about how I loved a movie for like <laughs> almost two hours, so fuck off, haters. <laughs> and that's that beautiful vulgarity wait what's what's the the <laughs> deliciously vulgar aspect of that you all came for self. exactly uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but truly thank you again and where can people yeah. check out your work follow you online etc um most of my work you can find at new york magazine site vulture or in the pages of new york magazine because that's my job that's my main girl that's where most 
like 97% of my work is just vulture because oh, that's yeah. my job. Mm-hmm. But I do freelance occasionally. And, you know, if you follow me on Instagram at Angelica Jade Bastian, you can keep up with my work or, you know, subscribe to my lovely newsletter, which is updated every four months because that's Hell just yeah. how I roll. Sorry, <laughs> y'all. But I love a jump scare newsletter. I, yeah, it's like, hey, hey, y'all, it's been six months. I'm back. <laughs> I'd rather that than on like a weekly newsletter. I'm like, get out of here. Just quit bugging me. Yes, yeah, like, leave me alone. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you have to say? Yeah. Um, but my newsletter is on Substack and it's called Mad Women and Muses. And yeah, you can find me there. You can find me at Vulture. You can find me shooting the shit on Instagram lives occasionally to talk shit about whatever movie I want to. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Google me, you'll find me. I'm around. Wonderful. <laughs> We're around too. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can go to our Patreon, aka Matreon, where we famously did a whole month dedicated to Pagentuary. pageant movies, which we famously called Pagentuary. Yes. And um, that plus many, many other episodes. It's $5 a month. You get two bonus episodes every month, plus the back catalog of, what, I think, 100 and, I don't know, 30, 50, something like that, bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. And that is all at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. Uh, and you can get merch over at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. And yeah, with mm-hmm. that, um, how do we, how do we, ooh. ooh, okay, the runner up of this episode, no, I'm kidding, uh, <laughs> is not us. <laughs> you know Goodbye. who won? All three of us. Well, Hell yeah. We won Miss Bechtelcast. <gasps> <laughs> We're all winners. We did it again. 500 <laughs> episodes running. We did it. Yes. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.